Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of knowing why you believe what you believe so that you will be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that you have in the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Reverend Jonathan Fisk, and today we continue our journey through the great Christian dogmatics of Francis Pieper, a text which ever so carefully lays down some of the clearest defenses of the Christian faith ever penned, all founded on those marvelous Reformation principles of Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, of course, because it's all about Christ alone. St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth, to watch your life and doctrine closely, to persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. But you, however, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and so encourage others. I have as guests with me today via phone, Pastor Andrew Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa and McGregor, Iowa, and his brother, Pastor Paul Preuss of Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota. Welcome, brothers. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your, your ministry in Iowa, Andrew, real quick? Just uh, those two parishes, maybe a little of their history? Uh, yeah, I... Um I serve a dual parish here, right on the Mississippi River, just north of Dubuque. And uh, the the history, I suppose, the the St. Paul is uh, they started uh, sometime in the early 20th uh, century, um, and uh, they you know just a small, always been a very small congregation. Um, we have actually seen some growth in the in the last few years, which is which is uh, all in God's will. Um, Trinity has kind of an interesting history. They they were part of a congregation that was sort of independent Lutheran, but they were served by pastors. Some were Missouri Synod, some were like Ohio Synod or a- old ALC. And so they um, back in the 30s, around 1930, there was a, a, a pastor who was removed um because uh, they said that he gave bad advice on an investment or something like huh, that. Huh. And so it was just, it was really just kind of a, 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 it wasn't a just removal of him. And so there was a handful of the congregation that said, this isn't right. You, you remove this pastor against, uh, uh, without biblical cause. So we are going to, uh, um, we're, we're calling our pastor because you, because we don't want to, we, we you know we're forming our own congregation because we don't want to be part of this sin. So it's kind of neat, actually, I and mean, it's kind of bittersweet. They 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 originated on the integrity of the scriptures and on the truth, and eventually Trinity became. Um, they ended up joining the Missouri Synod, and then the other congregation ended up ALC and now they're ELCA. Right, right, right. Um, so it's uh, so it's an interesting history, and it's a very small. Very small congregation. Um, they've had, I guess, their ups and downs over the years, but the uh, by God's grace, the the true word of God is proclaimed um, and the sacrament administered according to Christ's command every every Sunday. That's right. So, it's not the size that matters. It's it's the truth that matters. Right. I think there's a lot of the, stories. The growth, the growth is in the word. There's a lot of. A lot of stories like that, I think, in the Missouri Synod. I served a parish out in Philadelphia who began when uh, a group of immigrants effectively went to the local union church and within a few weeks had learned that, that, that they were not a church of the unaltered Augsburg Confession. And on that alone, they walked up the street, bought a new building, and founded St. John's Lutheran Church of the Unaltered Augsburg Confession. They were that committed uh, that they wouldn't join with their brethren. And they, they took a lot of heat for it, but they were founded on God's mm-hmm. Word. I'm assuming, I don't know if you have any stories like that, Pastor. Uh, uh, Preuss, Paul, uh, up in Zion? Uh, uh, We're basically, you know, a a church that um, began in the early 20th century as, uh, you know, uh, people were moving to the West in North Dakota. And, uh, you know, at one time there were a lot of um, smaller congregations, but as people have kind of moved to the urban areas, a lot of these churches have closed down, but Ellendale remains. Um, And so a lot of um, people that used to go to uh, congregations in smaller towns, which no longer exist now, come to um, Zion and Ellendale. So we have people traveling from, 
you know, 15, 20 miles away uh, to come to church in Ellendale. Well, which in a car is probably faster than most people uh, had to travel on horseback back in the day to get to the local the local church anyway. It's uh, a gift there. And so you guys are both brothers, and of course I know your, your history, but our listeners may not. So uh, I, they might know the name J.A.O. Preuss. Uh, he's kind of the more famous one, but that's not your grandpa, right? That's your great uncle? Is that the way I would say that, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yep, uh, and you are your grandpa is uh, Robert Preuss. Tell me a little bit about Robert Preuss. Um, well, I suppose I could talk now. Uh, well, <laughs> so my grandpa, uh, was, uh, his, he's the younger brother of Jack Price, who was the, um, the president of the Missouri Synod back during the walkout. And my grandpa was, um, well, he was a pastor in the ELS. He started off in the ELS, and then he ended up joining the faculty at St. St. Louis, um, I want to say in the, in the late 50s or early 60s. I can't remember exactly when. Um, but, uh, but anyway, he was, uh, he, he, he was um, the, the reason why he left, uh, the, the, uh, not the ELS, he actually joined the ELS. Before that, he was going to the ELC seminary um, in, uh, at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. And the reason why he left was because they were teaching uh, what is known as synergisms, this, uh, this, this false teaching that, that our human will cooperates with God in our conversion. And so that was, you know, contrary to the scriptures, against the central article of our faith of justification. So he left and he joined the, the ELS seminary um, at Bethany in Mankato. And, he, and then from there, he was an ELS pastor for a while. Then he ended up joining the Missouri Synod because he got a call to the, to the seminary there. And uh, so then um, in the 70s, when there was the big walkout, and you had 40 faculty members walk out of the seminary in protest uh, of the conservatives because, you know, the conservatives didn't want them teaching this, what we're going to talk a little bit about today, that te- they didn't want them teaching that the Bible contained errors in it. And to, to put it very, you know, very simply, that's what they were, they were teaching, this method of interpreting the Bible um, that known as the historical higher critical method, which really assumes that the scriptures have errors and that they're human words and not God's words. And so uh, when this the faculty majority walked out, uh, there were five professors who stayed, and my grandfather was uh, one of the five who stayed. And then he ended up getting a call to the seminary, in, in Springfield uh, to be the president, which eventually moved to Fort Wayne. Um, and he, he, uh, he always took a stand on the true word of God, he came out against open communion, against women pastors, against uh, unionism, that is false union with, with, uh, with, with, with those who are in error, came out against uh, you know charismatic movement, and really continued to stand on the truth. And the uh, the president of the synod at that time uh, didn't appreciate the, I suppose he was being a troubler of the synod in his mind. And so, long story short, some uh, men who, uh, who uh, with very wicked spirits, uh, attacked uh, him and spread horrible lies about him, and he was removed from his position at the seminary there. But he continued to stand on God's word, and uh, he was uh, he was exonerated, and um, but unfortunately he he died an untimely death uh, uh, back in 1995. Um, but uh, but his his legacy is not. It's I don't think that you know he he wouldn't want his legacy to simply be a Preuss legacy. His legacy was the the confession of the pure gospel, the pure word of God, drawn from the clear scriptures. Um, and laid out in our Lutheran confessions, and that's what he always stood on, and um, and that's that's a great example for for every saint, um, whether you're his grandson or not, <laughs> to uh, look to Robert Preuss as a as a man of God who who did not waver in in the face of hostility. I, I've met many many pastors in my time as a pastor in the Missouri Synod who were students under under Robert Price, and mm-hmm. I've never heard a single one uh, say something other than that. Uh, he taught them the scriptures, and they, mm-hmm. they hold that in high esteem, and it isn't his legacy. This is the legacy of the Christian Church, as we're going to yeah. talk about here, and, and, and that way it is the legacy of the Missouri Synod, um, but it's kind of neat to have that, that family history, and now uh, without without a, a whole story about it, I mean, it's not like there's just two young Preusses running around doing uh, preacher's dance 
damage in, in Missouri now, right? You guys have, uh, is it seven or eight brothers that are also total that are, that are pastors now? There are eight of us now. Yeah, just fantastic. Um, so watch out, Missouri. The prices are coming, but they're bringing the scriptures with them. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start looking at Peeper now again. Dr. Francis Peeper and his Christian dogmatics dogmatics as he's laying out the foundation for what Christianity is. He knows that this issue, this very issue that Robert Preuss uh, basically had to stand his ground on, uh, is one that is commonly one we need to stand our ground on. Last week we talked about the the bizarre reality that modern Protestantism was uh, d- divorcing itself from trusting the scriptures, and, and we're gonna to continue that as well. So Dr. People was writing 100 years ago, we're living today, we find much of the same falsehood here. And so he says, modern Protestants accept only so much of scripture as the individual subject has found acceptable. And that, that individual subject being uh, the, the, the person who's reading the scriptures in, in American Protestant, Protestantism as a, as a child of, of European Protestantism tends to read the scriptures only for what they like to find. And w- when they come to those parts that are, are not acceptable, there's a tendency to either to wash them over or to try to reinterpret them. We don't, we don't come to the scriptures saying, you know, I don't think this is right. How can I find out how it is right and how I'm wrong? We tend to read the scriptures saying, I don't think this is right. How can I find a way to make it go away? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, we find this in so many shapes and sizes. Um, you know, you can read so many books um, by really, really smart guys who uh, can talk about things like existentialism um, dialectic theology, all these really kind of big words that really confuse, um, um, even confuse the best of them. Uh, and really what it all comes down to is do, and I, lo- and I, I really love how um, um, Dr. Pieper puts, puts it in such simple language that this is really an I theology. Right. It, it's, uh, it, it really comes down to who's in charge. Is it God or is it me? And so when God says that, that uh, you know, that, that Noah built an ark and that there was a flood, when God says that there, was, that there, there were real people named Adam and Eve, uh, when God says that Jesus, uh, the, the Son of God, became a man and that he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, um, God isn't the one who's on trial. We're the one who's on trial. And so how we see the scriptures here is uh, it, really com- it really ends up, it does end up coming down to how do I see myself? Am I the one who is in the seat of judgment or is God? And I think that that's where we need to begin. Right. The, we need to humble ourselves to the scriptures. Well, the next quote, you know, is, is sort of presents the problem, though, right? So, so as you just said, is, it, is God speaking or not? He says this is the, the sad situation. The overwhelming majority of modern Christians refuse to identify Scripture as the Word of God. They they just don't believe the average Christian on the street. And there's there's you know if you you could do a poll, there's still a majority of people in America that say that they're Christians, but the average one doesn't believe the Scripture is actually from God. No, they don't. And um, and sometimes they will even say that it's the Word of God. Yet when they are encountered with clear Scripture that is uncomfortable, then they um they quickly change it um, so that it accommodates to the I, to, to, the, to the me. Um, um, I've, I've dealt with this a lot where maybe the, you know, the denomination itself um, teaches that the Bible isn't inerrant, but sometimes you talk to the people and say, oh yeah, it's God's Word, but then when they're confronted with anything that conflicts with how they want to live their life or what they want to believe, then instantly um, Scripture is no longer clear and I interpret it to to mean whatever I want it to mean. I, I found that uh, sometimes, uh, even in Missouri Synod parishes, it seems to me that the the constitution of the congregation is held in higher regard yeah. than the text of the scriptures themselves. And I don't think that's something people do on purpose in the sense like they don't sit down and, and jot out a plan for how I'm going to distrust scripture and how I'm going to replace it with some man-made tradition, whatever it is, whether it's the, the traditions of the elders and how do you wash your hands before you eat or whether it's, you know, how do you how do you handle Robert's rules and the voters assembly? I don't think we plan to go this way, but our, our nature is just sort of like tuned to go this way, right? Our original sin is part of this problem. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is what Paul warns Timothy uh, of, that, that people will with, will have itching ears. They'll set up for themselves teachers who will just tell them what they want to hear. And, uh, and you know, one of the things, too, about, about the, the, the book, the Bible, um, with great authority comes great despising. And uh, if you, I've noticed this ever since I was in high school when I first started arguing with, like, evangelicals who think that they invited Jesus into their hearts and that baptism doesn't save and stuff like that. And I realized that when I would quote the Bible and tell them that I'm quoting the Bible, I wouldn't get anywhere with them. Right. You know, and, and it's the same thing. Even in the Missouri Synod, you talk to someone and you say, well, this is what the Bible says. And it's almost like the authority of the Bible is more of an opportunity to sort of, uh, they know that it's an authority, but therefore, they, 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 ironically, they end up not, they end up denying the clarity of Scripture. Yeah, so what exactly. I've done, and I, I started doing this when I was in college, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't tell people um, that I was quoting Scripture. Right, you just do it, right? I would just start talking to them, and I would say, yeah, but don't, I remember talking to this uh, evangelical girl, and I said, um, yeah, but wouldn't you say, though, that it's not of him who runs, nor of him who wills, but of God who shows mercy. <laughs> and then she said, I, no, I don't think that, it's in, that, that that's entirely true. And I, and I was like, oh, well, I just quoted St. Paul, Romans 9.16. You know, and, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. And then obviously, you know, that she, she's going to get upset and stuff like that. But it really is. And I, I, the, the, the fact that people treat the book of the Bible, because it's such an authority, with such disdain, and treat it as though it's not clear, as though what use if you quote it, well then you must just be inserting your own opinions into it, and it's almost like, but uh, uh, it's really kind of the pot calling the kettle black. You know, you're 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 going to be you're going to be assuming that everyone who quotes the scriptures is just, well, the scriptures can't possibly be understood is really the assumption, and you are just putting your own interpretation. Into like it. like there is no truth at all, right? Yeah, Which again exactly. is to deny that there's any word of God at all. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, yeah, I was going to say is, uh, you know, um, Pieper says at the beginning there, um, we take the position that Holy Scripture, in contradistinction to all other books in the world, is God's infallible word, and therefore the only source and norm of Christian doctrine. So it is not to be like other books. It is actually God's word, yet it seems that people will um, twist Scripture, which is God's word, more readily than they would do with any other type of, of writing. So uh, they're more willing to place themselves above God's um, infallible word um, than they are to place themselves above another word. It's uh, it's very sad. There's sort of there were three things there, and I don't want to lose them all. One, Andrew, you had mentioned the um, how the lady got upset with what you brought up to her, and so talking about you know how do you deal with this with with gentleness, and that's something that as young men we always struggle with, and I, I imagine the young ladies do too. And as you get older, you tend to get a little bit better at it. Uh, the other thing was that uh, last week I think I said this as well. My own experience was often that uh, when I would talk with someone about the scriptures, and this could even go with you know the members in the congregation, uh, and I would I would present to them an idea that was in the Bible, and I would say this is from the Bible. Inevitably, if they didn't like it, their immediate response was not to go to another scripture verse and tell me, but it also says this here. It was inevitably to retreat to reason or experience as as their answer for that. And I found that fascinating. So that it wasn't just that the Bible's despised, but it's not even like relied upon, right? And that we wouldn't go back to it. I forget what the third one was there, but either either those things are worth riffing on a little bit. Yeah, either, either reason or, um, or experience. Um oh, I lost my train of thought here, um, or, yeah, this, or they'll go, well, someone else, I heard this guy say that it actually means this, even though we're looking at right. the clear word of God, it says what it says, yet someone else has twisted Scripture to fit into the way they want to look at it. Well, the trust somebody would give, say, to a, a former pastor or a former congregation, even though it, it is over against what Scripture and, say, yeah. our confessions say, uh, there's the personality allegiances can, can be a very yeah. real thing. Andrew, you had something? Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's kind of, uh, to look at it from their perspective, um, it, from, you know, from someone's perspective who, who has been taught, and this, this just goes to show why it's so important that, that, that there be consensus in, in what we teach, um, and that the that the uh, that 
those ministers are teaching the same thing from the scriptures because people get really confused. I mean, right. you, they they um, for example, you get to a congregation that has open communion. The scriptures are very clear in First Corinthians eleven that uh, that that you should be of one mind. Yeah. And, uh, and before you, you take the Lord's Supper, that you should not be disagreeing in doctrine, that someone who, who takes it unworthily takes it to his judgment. And so, I mean, that's, that, that, that's clear. Now, what happens if you get to a congregation that has been practicing open communion for years? Um, or they've been having women reading the lessons when the scriptures are very clear that women are not to be preaching or speaking publicly in the church. And, and yet, they're, they're going to revert to the, the fact that Pastor Frank or Pastor Bob yep. allowed this. And, and so, the, and, 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 and on, the, on the one hand, you want to kind of be sympathetic to that and, and understand why they would think that, because they are trained, and often from the Scriptures, to respect those pastors who are teaching them the Word. But it's a very difficult thing, then, when the pastor leads them astray. And then another pastor comes and... He doesn't want to be the bad guy, but he knows that he kind of he has to call them to repentance and back to the word. And so, so it it, it really there's really no easy fix. There's no there's no way that we can just sort of safeguard this by our own mechanisms. Not at all. We need to simply confess the word and insist that it is clear and that it's true. There's and, a, and and trust that God will do the rest. There's like a double danger there because in one sense often. The, this former heterodox, you know, at least half false teaching that exists there wasn't taught from Scripture. They believed it because the man said it, and they trusted him because they trusted him. And and so what it comes down to is that new pastor, in some ways, is expected to win their their approval first before they're going to believe what he says. And the, the only answer to this, the only the only remedy or fix or antidote to this is if the entire community start to finish says, no, it really doesn't matter about the personality of the pastor, whether it's good or bad. I clearly, I'd rather have a, a pastor with a, with a good personality than a bad one, somebody who's, who, who's jovial and not a complete jerk, right? But, but at the end of the day, what guards our hearts and minds is not the personality of the pastor. It is not the heritage of whoever came before or who will come after. It is what these texts of Scripture say. And that this is the living, beating heart of Christian identity. And that the moment you lose this, and the next quote that we have from Peeper, he says it brings us great division. This false principle does not merely disturb the, disturb the order of the things in the Christian church, but it turns it upside down. It is an outright revolt against divine order. With about a minute and a half left there, you know, thoughts on that, that what happens once you no longer have a norm, a rule, a standard, a basic thing that makes teaching normal, all that can come after this is division. Thoughts? Take it away, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course there's going to be division because um, everyone is going to have uh, his own interpretation and they're going to um, contradict e- each other. Um, our, our unity is... Um, in the truth of God's word, that's what that's what unites us. And when you have all these varying um, opinions about what God's word says, uh, we're going to have uh, uh, complete division. And you know, the the thing that uh, bothers me the most is when we attack Scripture, the authority of Scripture, is the uncertainty it brings to um, to folks, um, or right. even false security. Is how can mm-hmm. I be sure? that um that i am saved um if if god's word is not um true in all respects then how can i be certain when god uh, tells me in his word um that i am justified um yeah the christian uh in their conscience suddenly is has a little bit of a doubt inserted and yet the one who's secure in their carnal flesh uh is now free to believe whatever they want to believe as opposed to this grand but humble even humiliated certainty that, uh, uh, Andrew, you spoke about earlier, which is at the heart of our practice of closed communion, that we desire under God's word to be of one mind. And that mind is not mine or yours or ours. That mind is Jesus' mind. And the only way you know the mind of anyone is through what they say out loud. You're listening to Cross Defense on KFUO. We'll be back in just a minute with more Pastor Paul Preuss and Pastor Andrew Preuss discussing Francis Pieper talking about the Holy Scriptures. Stick around. I'd be sure that, um, that I am saved. 
Um, if, if God's word is not um, true in all respects, then how can I be certain when God uh, tells me in his word um, that I am justified? Um, yeah, the Christian, uh, in their conscience, suddenly is, has a little bit of a doubt inserted, and yet the one who's secure in their carnal flesh uh, is now free to believe whatever they want to believe, as opposed to this grand but humble even humiliated certainty that, uh, uh, Andrew, you spoke about earlier, which is at the heart of our practice of closed communion, that we desire under God's word to be of one mind. And that mind is not mine or yours or ours. That mind is Jesus' mind. And the only way you know the mind of anyone is through what they say out loud. You're listening to Cross Defense on KFUO. We'll be back in just a minute with more Pastor Paul Preuss and Pastor Andrew Preuss discussing Francis Pieper talking about the Holy Scriptures. Stick around. solid confessional Lutheran resources for pastors around the world. That's Luther Academy. Logia, the Journal of Lutheran Theology, the 13-volume Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Global Conferences for Strengthening Pastors. That's Luther Academy. Sign up for our email news and support our efforts at lutheracademy.com or call us at 260-452-2211. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash jobs board. It's the perfect time of year to move to sunny, affordable Central Florida. Join fellow Lutherans at the Landings at Lutheran Haven. Known for comfortable retirement living since 1948, the Landings are brand new villas from the mid-100s. Enjoy carefree living that includes meals, housekeeping, and a full continuum of health services on campus. Live and grow with Christ at the Landings. For information, phone 888-298-5590 or visit lutheranhaven.org slash KFUO. Sojourner Truth, born in slavery around 1797 in New York, became one of the most famous abolitionists of her time. As a child, she had several owners. After 17 years, she escaped with her daughter and was ultimately aided by a Quaker couple who bought her and then freed her. Sojourner spent the rest of her life speaking against slavery. A prolific preacher and speaker, she never learned to read, but that didn't stop her from learning. Over the years, she made sure people read to her, especially from the Bible. By the end of the Civil War, she not only met with President Lincoln, she had petitioned the government to make Western lands available to freed blacks and made countless speeches in support of African Americans and women. Sojourner Truth died November 26, 1883, a free woman. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and I have Pastor Paul Preuss and Pastor Andrew Preuss, brothers in arms, brothers in the faith, brothers in in the flesh as well, I guess. Uh, And uh, they're here with me discussing Francis Pieper's dogmatics, particularly in regard to the the perspicuity and the centrality of Holy Scripture. Andrew, you had something you wanted to say before we went to break. 
Yeah, uh, just on the on this perspicuity or clarity of scripture, um, you know, it it and we kind of talked about this uh, earlier that there's no there's no way that we as humans can manufacture this, and there are things that we do in order to serve the purpose of teaching the scriptures. So, for example, we we have a synod where we have doctrinal uh, um, positions. And we and we uh, we have a certain structure. We have we have we have seminaries and stuff like that. And those things are the tools that we use to promote the the ministry of the word, which Christ instituted with his apostles, who wrote the scriptures, and then also send out other pastors to preach the scriptures. And that at the end of the day, though, the only thing that unites us is the word of God, and that is often very. Uh, it's it's very agonizing because you want you you want to you want to be able to cling to something that you be more control of, and uh, you know so so you so what does not unite us is a pact to be in the same synod. What does not unite us is is our our signing of the constitution or signing of our membership in a congregation. What unites us is not that we grew up here and that we're, we have this or that label. The only thing that unites us is the Word of God, and that requires our sinful nature to die yeah. daily. It's not something that's just easy that we can just kind of float along and be like, okay, yeah, we're right, they're wrong, and this is how we know because we have this, these points uh, all laid out. No, that's, that's what they would call being a fundamentalist. We are, as Christians, we humble ourselves to the Scriptures, we know that they're true, and we, and we, and we approach them with, with humility, with repentance, and uh, praying that God would continue to enlighten our hearts and minds by His Holy Word. And that is the only way that we are united. And, and this assumes that it's actually possible to confess the truth of the Scriptures, because they're clear. And the fact that we even have Lutheran confessions and say that this is the correct exposition of Scripture. It's not adding something to Scripture, no, it's, it's doing the opposite. It's saying, it is affirming that it's actually possible to bind people to the Scriptural Confession, because we actually know that we can know the Scriptural Confession, and this is what it is. Right, the day of Pentecost is what that's all about in my mind. You know, people say, oh, you know, that's just your interpretation. Oh, oh, you read it, and I read it, and language is different, and the, the postmoderns come along and say it's all subjective experience. But the day of Pentecost, God didn't have much respect for our language. Uh, not only had he been the one to cause the confusion in the first place as a punishment to us way back at Babel, but he pretty much demonstrated, whatever I'm going to be doing in this man, Jesus, and his word, it, it doesn't care about your particular tongue. It doesn't care about the style in which you speak or maybe even the style in which you sing is going to break through all of that with the clarity of who Jesus is and what he's done. This is written down for our learning now. And to come to it as Christians and question that is to kind of saw off the legs of the ladder that you're standing mm -hmm. on. And the end result is that whatever you got to build on after that, which is going to be your local tradition in one way, shape, or form, the way we've always done it here, you might like that a lot, but it has no promise attached to it to withstand the storms of the present evil age. It's building on sand. And when the storm comes, it's going to blow your house down. The and only thing Gary guaranteed to stand is the rock yeah that's right and this is this is just you know uh the, the what what saint what what uh saint francis uh of peeper says <laughs> um he he says he says uh, so well here he says um um it will therefore never do for the theologian to retreat from the word of the apostles and prophets and to seek refuge in the theological ego in theology it is absolutely necessary that the theologian disqualify his ego. Right. And that's exactly what they had to do on Pentecost. Their their language is disqualified. Right. You know, and it all serves the true, clear word of God. And uh, and it so it transcends our own our own uh, experience. It Isn't that effectively heaven. Isn't that effectively what Jesus means when he promised the apostles, not not us, the apostles, not to worry about what they're going to say uh, when they stand before kings, but to know that the Spirit will give them the words? I mean, that's a promise for them. I, I don't think that's just for me. Uh, I think it's for them. And so that's exactly what they did. For us now, having them having said that and written it down, the promise is for me, but only 
in Scripture. That's why we go back to it. It's why we echo it in our catechism. It's why we study it. It's why we preach it, right? That is where we know what God actually thinks. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm doing a, a Bible class right now on First John, and, you know, John makes this point. You know, you have Serenthus and other Antichrists coming in, teaching contrary to Scripture, adding to Scripture, and he makes the appeal that, um, you know, he's an apostle sent by Christ to teach the truth, and that this has been written, that um, here we have seen, we have touched, and we proclaim to you um, all the apostles, and this has all been written down for you, so that you may have um, life in, uh, in Jesus Christ. Um, it's a, an appeal to the uh, authority of, of Christ and the authority of, of, of Scripture. Modern, modern Christianity has played a little fast and loose with the word disciple and kind of made it apply to all Christians. And, and at times in the New Testament, yeah. it does do that, particularly I'm thinking, I believe it's the book of Luke. Uh, it, it does do that, but there are other times the book of Matthew, the book of John, where that word disciple is really the word apostle. And this isn't everybody. This, these are the sent ones. These are the, these are the prophets of the New Testament. And I'm glad they're there. I'm actually kind of glad I'm not one of them. They had pretty awful ends for the most part. Yeah. I'm kind of okay <laughs> with not having that. Uh, you know, we don't know what history is going to bring here now for us, but the, the whole point of that apostolic ministry was this, this certainty of Scripture. And so uh, Francis Pieper says then, and I love this. It's like he's been talking about how others think this, others think that. And he finally just says, you know, look, we're, gonna, we're starting right at the start of this book. I'm just going to lay it out. We, on our part, stand on the supreme and sole authority of Holy Scripture. So uh, Christianity can do what it wants to do. Modern Protestantism can do what it wants to do. The Roman Catholics obviously are doing what they want to do. We're going to let them do that. You can call us names if you want. But for our part, we're just going to sit here and trust in what God has written. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is, uh, when you talk, you can talk to uh, some sectarian, um, you know, Bible church of, of the awesome God or whatever, you know, <laughs> whichever kind of, um, whatever they call themselves, and you ask, well, so what are you guys about? And, they, and they'll often say, well, we just, we just follow the Bible. And, uh, you know, and so they, they really, uh, really kind of take that, that sola scriptura from you before you can claim it. You know, they take that... Uh, that 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 scripture alone principle from you and then and what often lutherans i think are tempted to do that is to say oh well they claim that so i gotta claim something else we have history we have our liturgy we have all this stuff which are great things but if we ever depart from the soul of scripture and let the sectarians have it when they don't have it then we're, then we we are we're, we're, then we're giving up. And we see them. We need to insist that we are the ones who stand on the scriptures alone, and and that every tradition that we have is uh, is 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 subordinate to the scriptures. Rather than ceding them the content and the claim right away, right? So so they say we just believe what the Bible says and we go, "Oh, okay, you must you said so, so it must be true." Rather mm -hmm. than actually questioning it, well then, who do you say that Jesus is? Yeah, exactly. What does the Bible actually say and what do you do with these verses, particularly the ones that are about the comfort and certainty of the sacramental presence of Jesus in our lives right now, the miracles of the New Testament age right now? Why why do you reject all of those? We we just give it away, right? Give away the farm. Mm -hmm. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, if they say that, say, great, you do? Me too. All right. And then just assert, assert, assert what the scriptures clearly say, and yeah. then bring them along with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they can agree to that, that that's wonderful. We can both agree that, you know, the Bible is, is God's Word, and then we, we can start somewhere. And um, if, if they're Christians, they'll be humble to, to God's Word and listen to the passages that teach um, such things as baptism saves, uh, you know, the, the real uh, presence in the Lord's Supper, um, etc. Um, but the, the problem is, and what, you know, Peeper's talking about here, is uh, when you encounter someone who claims to be a Christian, yet doesn't acknowledge... Right. The, the scriptures as being God's word, it contains God's word, right? I mean, that's what um, uh, folks will say. So I get to pick and choose what I think is God's word. So when, I, so when we are trying to convince someone of the truth of God's word and we quote a passage, it's just simply dismissed. 
It's like God's words behind the text in the shadow and you have to go find it. I, I remember, I don't know where I was that, that this happened, but somehow I ended up in an, in an ELCA church and, and there was, I looked at their hymnal and I just opened it up and started flipping through and I found this hymn and the hymn was about the Bible and it had four verses and it was all about how uh, some people long ago would use this book, some people over here would use that book and they would find God in all of these various books. So now today we make our own books and our own thing. It wasn't quite that, that, that crass, but it's effectively what the song was about. They were singing about how there is no truth and we sometimes find God somewhere. Right. And, and what hope, what certainty do they have in this? I, I was mind boggled at that, that anybody could sing that with any passion and not just gouge their ears out in despair. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's awful. It is, uh, you know, when you when you take out the uh, scriptures as as uh, as the authority and you say, you know, what they'll say is, uh, uh, oh, the scriptures are inspired, but they're more inspired. They were inspired to write down their own religious thoughts. And so then through that, we can then come to our own religious experiences and, uh, you know, we can be confronted with, with God in our own way and we can use the scriptures to get to that and all that and all that nonsense. But when the scriptures are, when you really take away the authority of the scriptures and you make it rather into like a friend who just kind of encourages you to be your own person, that's like, that's like getting rid of your dad. <laughs> and replacing him with some youth pastor who's not who's who 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 doesn't who isn't going to assert the truth he's just going to try to sympathize with you and have fun with you and at the end of the day you're 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 not actually going to be grounded in what is true with that certainty that you have when your father teaches you as the head of the home should teach and so i think that what we're dealing with today with the rejection of, of Scripture, you also have the rejection of the idea that God would punish his son, because no, Dad, that's not loving. What loving Dad would do that? And the radical feminism that we're dealing with today, and we see it everywhere. Where everyone breathes in the air. So I think that the, the issue of patriarchy and the issue of biblical authority, it's authority. The issue of God are all, all wrapped up together. Yeah, it, it comes back to authority, which you brought up earlier as well. And so that's where, you know, replacing, you mentioned the youth pastor. There's some faithful youth pastors out there too, or, or DCEs. Yeah, they're they're no, trying, you know, know. but, <laughs> but the, your point is well taken in that you're replacing the father with anybody else outside of the house. Even the teacher at the school is a good teacher, right? But But we've lost this idea that there is one person set over every human being who is there with Supreme authority, at least initially, for the good of the person who's under. It is good that a father has authority over his children to protect them and to lead them in the way they should go. That's the issue people are having with parenting so much these days. The reason their kids are, are unable to listen to them is they no longer believe that they're there to tell their kids what life is all about. Their words have lost their authority as well. How much more so when we're talking about not the human fathers, but the, the one from whom all human fatherhood is named, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then his Christ, who he has set as king, reigning king over us, right? We don't live in a democracy as Christians. You know, we, we participate in the American government system, but we live in a kingdom, and a king's word is law. And thankfully for us, our king's law also has brought and prophesied and been fulfilled in the gospel of our salvation. So that, right? Moving back to Peeper here, he says, from the Bible alone, excuse me, no, this is the quote I don't want to miss. We maintain that scripture, our father's words, by virtue of a singular divine act of inspiration is God's own infallible word. And then he has in quotes there, God's book. I want to talk about, we got about 10 minutes left here. I want to talk about th at least three things in there. I want, I want us to define the word inspiration because it does get wiggly. I want to talk about infallible and then this other word inerrancy and why these words are maybe not as, oh, their inspiration was like the old word from the ancient world. And there are churches out there that really don't want to use any other word, but they seem not, not to be able to recognize that it has lost its it's certainty. And uh, Pastor uh, Preuss, uh, Andrew, you, you mentioned, you know, that, that it has become sort of a word that means they were just moved and nothing more. And so what about the word inerrancy is better? What does inerrancy have that inspiration does not have? Well, in, inspiration, I mean, it means, you know, God, God breathed. Breath gives life. God in the beginning breathed. 
and, and brought life, as opposed to inerrancy would have to do God cannot, cannot lie, he cannot contradict himself. He only speaks the truth. And through that, that truth of God's word, through that word which is inspired, he creates life uh, where there was death. Does it make any sense to divide those two words, though? To, to say that you could have inspiration without inerrancy? You can't. No, that's right. It's, uh, Jesus calls the Spirit, the Spirit who, who the, the breath of God, is another word for the Spirit of God. This, he calls the Spirit the Spirit of life and the Spirit of truth. You cannot have one without the other. Right. So that from the Bible alone... To the end of time, Pieper says, Christian doctrine, every single part of it, is to be taken and determined. There, there's no thing that we say God says if it's not in the scriptures. And there's no thing that we say God does not say if it's not in the scriptures. We don't get to speculate. We don't get to feel our way to it. If you fall and hit your head and get a bruise and wake up and you think you saw a vision... You want to question it? Yeah. You want to look to these texts. What does that mean then for your life as a Christian then? You know, is it is it enough with all the, the words of the world that are being kind of thrown at you in uh, whatever medium you're looking at, whether it's radio like KFUO, whether it's uh, the websites that you go to, whether it's TV, a constant stream of, of words. Is, is a 15-minute sermon every week all that you really need to live on? No, you need to be in the Word. It needs to be your mind. Um, this is uh, St. Paul talks a lot about this, that you, that you be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And, and he says in 1 Corinthians, uh, also in, uh, in, 1 Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians, that, uh, that, that he has the mind of Christ. And, and so, I mean, this is, we, in order to understand the significance of inspiration and inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, we have to understand what the content of Scripture is as well. You can't separate the authority of Scripture from its content. Yeah. The authority does not derive, the authority of Scripture is not derived from its content, but rather from its author, who is, who is, who is, the, the, who is God, the triune God. Um, but, but, you, you, but that author writes things down, and, and, uh, and, and he directs you toward its, uh, toward its center, and that's Christ and salvation. And that is having the spirit thinking in a certain way, like you, like your show. I don't know if you still have this show, Worldview Everlasting. Right? You have your worldview. So the scriptures are not simply a rule book where you just consult them whenever you want to prove that you're right about something, right? Or that you're not wrong about something. So someone says, "Well, show me in the Bible where it says," and you know, and then they give a quote. You know, like it will take. Well, it, it, we can't always find a, a proof text that's going to give us like the rule. Uh, you know, bylaw A-2-1 or whatever. No, the scriptures are meant to be, we, we learn them, we live them, we breathe them. They, they are, 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 we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this isn't just a matter of closing the book of the Bible and then going and consulting your pastor whenever you want to, you know, solve an argument. No, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly because it's your life. As and life course, itself. And, and the center of it all is Christ. And, uh, and what he has done for you on the cross. God's, God's word does what it says, right? And you think of Adam and Eve, I guess it was really just Adam, uh, and it's before he was named Adam, he's just a clump of mud on the ground kind of formed with some fingers and legs and whatever. And it says that God breathed on him and he lived. And you have to wonder, you know, that's that breath, that's that Holy Spirit we're talking about. And you always kind of picture it's like CPR, like God's going to go down and just kind of breathe into his lungs. But maybe, maybe he breathed into his ear. Yeah, and right. maybe, maybe he spoke words of life to give him life, and yet even though now he's he's chosen death, we've chosen death. God's doing the same thing. He's breathing on us, and he's doing it with these words about Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, a quick, a quick quote. Speaking of, you know, one of the things I'm really, I really want to commend you for for bringing for having this study on Peeper. Um, Peeper is often given a given um, an unfair caricature. That he's just all about proof texting. He's just kind of cold, dead orthodox, just showing that Lutherans are right and everyone's wrong. But as we will see as we continue to study Pieper, that is not the case. He is very rich in his theology, 
and maybe he might be a little long-winded sometimes, but but uh, but 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 what Pieper represents is what we call what is, is uh, historically would, would be well Lutheranism, but especially Lutheran the, the, the Lutheran Orthodoxy in the 17th century, late 16th, 17th centuries. And one guy who uh, I actually just had a son um, born about a month ago. Congratulations. His name is Robert, and his middle name is Abraham Kalev. The two middle names, and Abraham Kalev was a theologian in the in the in the 17th century. And what Kalev said about this, this statement that you're making. Maybe he breathed into his, his ear. It reminded me of something that Kalev said. Kalev said that the ears of man, um, that our ears were created by God, specifically designed to hear the Word of God. Right. And that's really cool when you think about that. It's very so cool. Look at your ears. They are designed to hear God's Word. Yeah, the, 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 that was his whole purpose was to walk yeah. with us in the garden in the cool of the day. Yeah, you, what? It's just gonna just gonna stroll and never talk. Oh, it's gonna keep breathing life to us. Paul, you got something? Uh, no, that that's exactly right. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't just gonna um, walk with us and just you know give us googly eyes. He's gonna talk with us. <laughs> you know. So before before we go, we got about three minutes left. What Peeper does for his his so called proof texting, and you know, proof texting has a place. We can talk about that another time. But he he gives some examples now. He just made all these assertions about about trusting the word, and and he's, he he kind of says so so. How do I know this is true? Well, will you look at Christ and his apostles and see what they do? And he says over and over again, whenever they want to prove a point, no matter where else they're going to go for their examples, they also say this. They say it is written yeah. right even christ himself when he's debating with the pharisees doesn't say i come as my own witness right if i bear witness about myself my witness means nothing but there's another who bears witness about me it is written yeah he keeps going back to the old testament scriptures and how much this must be then our our path for for everything mm-hmm. that's right yep. and they're all you it's all united that's why i want i want to just say it is written i want to I want to write papers and not put any footnotes, not put any references, and just say it is written. And say, what, the scriptures, it's, well, who said that? Well, where, was that Mosaic? Was that Lucan? Was that Markin? No, it was God. God said it. So it is written. That's funny. God wrote the Bible. You know, I started doing this a while back. I I don't remember where I was writing because it wasn't in, in, in a book that I wrote, but I... I would like refuse to put the verse number. I would just, I, I figured people wanted to know where it was from. So I'd put the chapter number and it was like, but if you want to know where it is, go look it up, <laughs> you know, yeah. go, go read yeah. a chapter of the Bible and find chapter, it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for being my guest today on cross defense. We have pastor Andrew Preuss of, Oh, I lost my notes here for your, your two little congregations, Trinity Lutheran church in Gutenberg, Iowa and St. Paul Lutheran church in McGregor, Iowa. Thank you to the saints of those congregations. They are in our prayers as you serve them with word and sacrament. And Pastor Paul Preuss of Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota. We didn't mention just down the street from where I just was. Paul and I were kind of buddies up there in the Dakotas before I got the call here to KFUO. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Our pleasure. pleasure. And we will have you on again soon uh, to continue talking about Francis Pieper's dogmatics and defending our faith, our most holy Christian faith, from the Scriptures as the Word of God. Why? So that you might have confidence where in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that you might know that that work and what it means is God's own inspired inerrant answer to the problems of sin, death, and the devil. And that you have a hope to look forward to, eyes to look up to this coming return of him where he brings all good things because of what he achieved on that cross. We'll catch you next time. Rock on. 